It is indeed, again, an honor and a privilege to uh, bring the word to you guys uh, this morning. Our text this morning comes from the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 16, verses 1 through 9. Some of you old, older old timers, you know, will remember the Tina Turner song hit in 1984, What's Love Got to Do With It? But I'm sure some of you uh, younger ones, I know my kids know that song. But that's where I got my title. I guess I've been hanging around Joe too much, you know, I'm put, pulling stuff, music. What's God have to do with it? It's the title of my sermon. Our text is from Proverbs. Please join me in the reading of the word. The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. Commit your work to the Lord, and your plans will be established. The Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured he will not go unpunished. By steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for. And by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Better is a little with righteousness than great revenue with injustice. The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. I ask now you would join with me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you today for this opportunity to gather together and worship and to hear from you. We pray that we would hear from your Holy Spirit today, that you would speak the word of truth through me, that my words and the lips of my voice would pronounce what is true, what is good, what is holy and righteous. I ask that you would stir in our hearts, dear Lord, a greater desire to know you and know your word. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, what does God have to do with it? What does he have to do with our plans, our lives, our decisions that we make on a daily basis? Most of us, I would say, live like deists. Thinking that God is not involved with our day-to-day lives, with all the mundane activities and decisions that we make. In fact, we can go days sometimes without acknowledging Him or praying to Him. But when tragedy strikes or something big comes into our life that we can't handle, or we have a big decision to make, like where to live, should I marry, whom should I marry, how many kids... What college, what career, life choices, we suddenly become theists and ask God for help, for wisdom, for direction. But today I want you to know that we can trust God with our daily lives and daily decisions and plans because he has a lot to do with them. We really can believe Romans 8:28. I know it's a familiar verse with many of you out there. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. And we see the same exact thing in our text today. 
Proverbs 16.9 is one of my favorite verses, and I often tell people it is my life verse that I've come to live by. The heart of man plans his ways, but the Lord establishes his steps. I actually like the New American Standard Version a little better. It says, the mind of a person plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. It really is another way of saying Romans 8.28, where God causes all things to work together for good. Now, there's a lot in these verses today, and we're not going to nearly cover it all. I'm going to go through it and cover some brief points to get through. Solomon, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, when he wrote this book, I believe these verses were grouped together for a particular reason. Now, for you that are familiar, and hopefully you are with the Proverbs, uh, they provide wisdom generally in two ways, right? They either say, don't do that, do this. Or they, they characterize it, don't be a fool, be wise, right? And we'll be able to see that in today's passage as well. You know, John Calvin in his Institutes, the very first chapter, chapter one, paragraph one, he says, quote, our wisdom, insofar as it ought to be deemed true and solid wisdom, consists almost entirely of two parts, the knowledge of God and of ourselves. We see this in today's passage of how much man and God are inextricably linked. So let's look at that this morning. What can we learn about God? What can we learn about ourselves? First, let's look at man, ourselves. Verse 1 and verse 9, we see that man makes plans. We plan our way. We plan our steps, our, our lives. We are a planning people. We make decisions every day. Those who are serving in the military or have served in the military, uh, you know all about that. Tactical plans, strategic plans. You might have even been called a plans officer. I know I was once when I was at U.S. Strategic Command. I was a plans officer. I had to plan communication plans for the strategic missions that that command was responsible for. But all of us make plans every day, knowingly or unknowingly. You made a plan to come to church today. You may not have thought about it like that, but you planned your steps. There were tasks you had to do to get ready to be here. Some of you needed more time than others, but you all made it. But you had to plan. You had to make decisions. The point is, we are planning creatures. We make decisions every day. And you could see it in verse 1 and verse 9. I'm going to call it, you know, the planned sandwich. Okay, Joe? Joe always used the terminology, marking sandwich. And this is the planned sandwich. We have those two uh, particular ideas sandwiched between verse 1 and verse 9. Okay, what else about man? Number two, men tend to think our plans, our decisions are always right. That our motives are always pure in all our decisions. In verse 2, the writer says, we think our ways are always pure. Do we ever stop to think about the motive of some of our decisions? Many times they are not pure. I think of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. He addresses those who what? They practice their righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. They give to get applause. They pray to be noticed. Their motives are impure. I think if we're honest with ourselves, we sometimes do good things for the wrong reasons. And that's what the writer is saying there. 
In chapter 30, he says something similar. He says, there are those who are clean in their own eyes, but not washed of their filth. Remember, it was Pontius Pilate who washed his hands and said, quote, he was clean in his own eyes in sentencing, sentencing Jesus to death. So we sometimes think our plans are always right. Number three flows kind of from the second point. Man tends to be arrogant, proud. Notice verse 5. Everyone who is arrogant is an abomination to the Lord, and he will not go unpunished. If we think about it, we tend to make decisions sometimes out of pride, out of arrogance. We know what's best for our lives. We want to advance our agenda, make ourselves look good. This proverb warns us against that kind of attitude. And the Apostle Paul wrote the Romans and he said, Do not think too highly of yourselves than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. We always got to be reminded to be sober, to be humble. We naturally, I think, think too highly of ourselves. and Many times our lives, our plans. The Apostle John... uh, James says a similar thing to those who are arrogant and plan their lives without God. James chapter 4 says, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go such into a city and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this and do that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So we got to be careful sometimes. Our inclination to make plans is without consulting God. And that's, in its simple form, arrogance. Because what we're saying is, we know better. Number four, when it comes to money, man will many times seek wealth in lieu of righteousness. The writer in verse 8 makes a telling statement. He says, better is a little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice. Why does he make that statement? Well, because we are prone to make decisions sometimes to more to accumulate wealth, even if it means doing the wrong thing. Remember, it was Jesus who said, you cannot serve God in riches. He challenges us. Jesus challenges us to seek first what? His kingdom and his righteousness and all these things, these riches, his wealth will be added unto us. A person who is rightly living, living rightly with God will enjoy his material possessions even though they are less than someone who is wealthy and acquired their riches wrongly. Solomon says it in another way in his book of Ecclesiastes. There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is at the hand of God. Number five, when man's making plans, he will tend to want to please himself rather than others. Verse seven, when a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. He says, when? Why did he say when? Well, because we don't often do it. But he says when we try to please the Lord, he, the Lord gives us these benefits. He is telling us that when we make it our ambition to please him, there are benefits. It will impact our relationships, even our enemies. Paul told the Corinthian church, said to make it your ambition to please the Lord. 
And generally that means pleasing others instead of pleasing of ourselves, which because we are to love our neighbors. All right, let me sum up briefly what we learn about man. Number one, he makes plans. Number two, he thinks they're always right and pure. Number three, he is proud and makes decisions to promote himself. Number four, he seeks after unjust gains. Number five, he seeks to please himself. Now these verses, if you follow me, do not paint a pretty picture of the unrighteous, unwise man, do they? That is the bad news. That is why we need a Savior. That is why we need a Savior. Now let's look at God. What do we learn about Him? Number one, God, He weighs the heart. God weighs the heart. Verse two, remember the Lord is all about the heart. Remember when Samuel was looking for a replacement for Saul? God told him, for the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Jesus said something similar. He says, what comes out of the heart is what defiles a man. That is why we need a new heart. That heart of stone turned into a heart of flesh. What else do we learn about God? Well, we learn he hates pride. He hates arrogance. It's an abomination to him. That's a pretty, pretty strong word. Solomon deals a lot with pride in the book of Proverbs. He's warning his son to guard against it. Because pride will what? Get us into trouble. Pride comes before what? A fall. Causes us to make bad decisions. Ultimately, it brings destruction. What do you think the whole Sermon on the Mount was about? What is the end of the sermon? Two types of ground, right? You build on the sand. You build on the rock. Pride. Humility. Full. Wise. Jesus saying the same thing. God hates arrogance, which leads to the next point. He will punish the wicked and the arrogant. Solomon says, be assured, he will not go unpunished. Sin must be punished, and most sin can point back to pride. When we sin, we are in effect saying we know better. We are putting ourselves above the lawgiver God. Okay, I'm seeing glum faces. Enough of the bad news. Now to the good news. You know, you really can't have good news unless there are bad news before. And that's what the whole gospel is about. And we see that in point number four. God atones for our iniquity by his steadfast love and faithfulness. He atones for, he forgives us of our sin. We know that he does this through his son, Jesus Christ. He who knew no sin became sin that what? We might become the righteousness of God. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies are new every morning. His grace. It is through Jesus Christ's atoning sacrifice and fulfilling his promises where mercy and truth meet together. And so that's what the writer is saying. He's always, even in the Old Testament, we see the law. Martin Luther used to talk about this a lot. And we see the gospel. And here today we saw the law, we see all the sins and how we fall short, 
And then we see the gospel, how God provides a way through Jesus Christ, his son. And that goes to the next point. He gives peace. He gives peace with man, with himself. Notice in verse 7, he makes our enemies to be at peace with us. God not only reconciles us to himself and makes us peace with us, he works peace between brothers and even our enemies. Paul says it this way, For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Finally, we get to the point I want to spend the most time on this particular sermon. The reason for the title, what does God have to do with it? God establishes or directs our steps. He establishes, directs our steps. We see in verse 4 that the Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. And in verse 9, that even though we plan our way, God establishes or directs our steps. Solomon here is reminding us that human responsibility to act and make plans does not contradict God's sovereignty in our lives. These verses should bring great comfort to us just as much as Romans 8.28 does. The word everything in verse 4 means everything, means the whole, means all, nothing left out. All is under his care and his purposes for his glory, all. Even the wicked and their actions stand under the sovereignty of God. We don't always understand why bad things happen. And what purpose they serve, but we can trust in our loving, sovereign God. The scripture provides us many cases where you see the evil intentions of others, of man guided by the hand of God. Remember Joseph, sold into slavery by his brothers. And because why was he sold into slavery? Because of jealousy. I can't think of anything worse than that to be betrayed by your family. And then that top that off, sold into slavery to a foreign nation. And then after that, to be falsely imprisoned. All right. He was probably saying, what gives, Lord? What, what, what's going on? We would do the same. And there's nothing wrong, by the way, with questioning. But you remember at end of the book, book of Genesis, Joseph says, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good. To bring it about, many people should be kept alive as they are today. Or even more tragic, when we look at the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Look how Peter describes it on the day of Pentecost in his great sermon in Acts chapter 2. He says, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God's own people, led by their leaders, the chief priests and the scribes and the Pharisees, handed over Jesus to the Romans to be crucified. They were culpable and they will be responsible and will stand in judgment one day. I don't fully understand it. 
God's sovereignty and man's responsibility, but it's written throughout the scripture. And if we're honest, we look at our daily lives, especially as you get older, you see it more. I'm going to talk about uh, two things, sovereignty and providence. Sovereignty and providence. We see providence at play in both of these examples that I just gave you and in our daily walk. Um, John Piper came up with something I thought was very helpful to help us to differentiate between sovereignty and providence. God's sovereignty is his right and power to do all that he decides to do. So it's his right because he's God and he has the power to do whatever he wants to do. But providence is God seeing to everything. Absolutely everything that needs to be done to bring about his purposes. God sees to it that it happens. Isaiah 46.10 says, I declare the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. In other words, I will see to my purpose. I will provide. I will see that everything works together for the goals that I have for this world. I, I love the Heidelberg Catechism, chapter or question number 27 says, What do you understand by the providence of God? Answer, the Almighty everywhere, present power of God, as it were, by His hand, He upholds heaven and earth with all creatures, and so governs them that herbs and grass, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, meat and drink, health and sickness, Riches and poverty, indeed all things come not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. Think about that. All things come by his fatherly hand. Even the difficult and the things we would call bad. Paul said something similar, and Harold alluded to this sermon today in Sunday school. Acts chapter 17, when Paul's sermon, he's on Mars Hill's uh, preaching to the philosophers, and uh, he says this, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Beautiful sermon. But here we see he says God is the creator. He made everything in it, made from one every nation. He is Lord of heaven and earth. He is sovereign over all. He is self-sufficient, does not need anything. He shapes history, determines allotted periods, the boundaries, Think of the great empires, Egypt, Assyria, Babylonia, Persian, Greek, Roman, British, American. He determines boundaries of Liechtenstein and Luxembourg. And have you ever been over to Europe? I lived in Germany. Liechtenstein is this very tiny little state, but it's its own sovereign state. And so is Luxembourg. He's in control of all things. 
But you know what else? He is intimately involved with you and I's lives as his children. And that's the point I want to keep hammering on me. He directs, confirms our steps. All right. David said it well, Psalm 31. It says, but I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hand. I hope you can pray that as well this morning. You know, because we many times think we control our destiny. We think we are independent and in control. We're like the taxi driver who says to the passenger in the back seat, what I like most about my job is the independence. I'm my own boss. No one tells me what to do. I make my own decisions. And the passenger says, take the next left. If we are honest and we look back on life, there are many things that are out of our control that have shaped our lives. Who we married, where we live, job we had. There have been decisions you and I have made that we thought were the right plans, but they didn't end up the way we thought. I can give countless uh, cases of that happening in my life looking back. When I was a young captain stationed in Nebraska, went to a large uh, Assembly of God church there. I was in my early 30s, you know. I hadn't been married yet, met a young lady. And uh, after dating for a while, a year, we got engaged. We were engaged to get married, had the wedding set. It had the date where she already bought out the invitations. And then about a month before the wedding, she says, I can't do this. I got cold feet. I just, I'm not ready to do it yet. I said, fine, fine. We don't have to rush this. So I, we backed off. I didn't date for a while. And then she, she came back, said, all right, I think I'm ready. Let's try to do it again. And we did, planned it again. Second date, boom. She's, she gave up, couldn't do it. I said, fine, we're done now. Unfortunately, the Air Force said, you're going to Las Vegas. <laughs> I got an assignment right after that. But the point was, when I went through that, I didn't understand that. And uh, it was painful, emotionally painful. But I look back and say, I am so glad that she changed her mind because I have a beautiful wife now and beautiful children. And the Lord had different plans. He was just holding me for someone else. That's where, you know, I planned my way. We were both Christians. We were both seeking the Lord's will. And we both wanted to do it right when we were doing anything. But it wasn't the Lord's will. So the point of, I think, in this proverb, you see, you still plan your ways. You, you do what you think is best. But understand, the Lord will have his way. All right, real quickly, because I'm running out of time here. Let's look at what, what about us? Some things we can do. Number one, commit your work to the Lord. Number one, commit your work to the Lord. Everything we do, we should commit it to the Lord. We see that in verse 3. Start off every day committing that day to the Lord. Start off with the thought that this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it, and I will commit it to you. Number two, live a life of humility and repentance. Live a life of humility and repentance. We see that in verse five. With humility comes what? Wisdom. The humble person recognizes his or her own need for the Savior every day. Solomon compares the wise man with the fool throughout the book. And he says, do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Number three, recognize that we have blind spots. 
Our motives are not always pure, especially when you're making big decisions. Ask a spouse, ask a friend, ask a mentor. Am I doing the right thing right here or am I missing something? Again, this gets back to pride. Many times we don't want to ask people for help. But we have blind spots. We don't always see everything. We need to be like David says, search me on God, know my heart, try me in my thoughts. See if there's any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Number four, fear God and turn away from evil. We see this idea of the fear of the Lord throughout Proverbs, a bunch of verse. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fear of the Lord prolongs days. The fear of the Lord leads to life. You go on, there's a, you can do a word study on that. And the final one I want, trust God with your plans. Trust God with your decisions in life. Trust the Lord. He has made everything for his purpose. Trust him that he establishes your plans in your life. Trust that he causes all things to work together. Make the best plan and decision that you can and trust the results to a loving and caring father. We are getting ready to make a big decision in our church and bringing on a new pastor. We have a committee that's doing a lot of great work. Bill talked about that today, gave an update. Many decisions will be made by the committee as they screen and interview candidates. And I know they are praying through the process, and I would ask you to continue to pray for them during this time. But I want you to think about this. All of those candidates who I would presume... They're reformed in their theology. Wouldn't you say that, Bill? They're, they're going to be of a P, from a PCA or a similar Presbyterian background with reformed theology. All believe in sovereignty of God and providence. But there was only one position. Did those who applied and did not get selected miss the will of God? No. Will the one who gets selected be the will of God? Yes. They are doing what they think, these men that are applying for the job, they're praying, they're seeking, they're probably talking to their spouse, they're doing all those things to say, should we consider this job? Should we go? And they're praying, they said, yes, do it, and they, they send in an application. I would hope that. Not to say there aren't some, you know, just looking for a job to be on the Emerald Coast, you know, the last years of their life. I'm sure we hit a couple of those, but... There will be a time where the committee recommends a candidate to the church for a vote. And hopefully we all prayerfully and thoughtfully will consider this candidate and make a judgment and vote in a particular way. I can almost guarantee you there will not be a unanimous vote where we'll have 100 to 0. It, we're human, all right? And if you're one of the ones that didn't vote for it, you're doing what you do in your conscience, your heart, and you're just doing your best plans. And that's all we're asked to do. And so we need to remember that. So what's God have to do with it? What's he have to do with your life and my life? Everything. Everything. Put your trust in him. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we, we thank you for this wonderful passage. In Proverbs, and we thank you, Lord, we can rest in the fact that you direct our steps. And even when we plan, uh, Lord, and sometimes we don't plan with any consideration of you, and we ask forgiveness, but when we plan, we know that you will 
order our steps, direct our path. And I pray, Lord, if there's some out here today that uh, do not know you, that they don't even have this relationship where they can come to you, I pray that you would change their hearts, Lord, and cause them to be born again by your Spirit. And for the rest of us, Lord, I pray you would just give us wisdom and just give us a heart to know you and to inquire of you each and every day for direction and wisdom. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.